I guess it was on Friday night. I was leaving Grace's in Manhattan and it was like kind of late at night, maybe like 1230. And these two guys driving like kind of a work type van that had stopped at the intersection and they were trying to get the attention of these like two women on the street who were like kind of drunk and in tube dresses and high heels. Uh And the women just weren't, didn't hear them at all. And the guy had had like written something and folded up onto a pair paper airplane and threw it out the window at her and like it was a really good throw like it almost hit her except she swerved right unexpectedly at the last second on the sidewalk and like didn't see the paper airplane <laughs> and then the light turned green and so he had to go and I just like walked across the street and like picked it up and put it in my pocket and kept walking and I just remembered that I have it and it has his phone number on it and I like really want to text him something but I don't know Oh my god, that's so good. I have to come up with something clever. It's just his phone number? The outside says open me, and then the inside says call me, and it's his phone number. Wait, the guys were in a car and the the girls were standing on the street? Yeah, they were walking on the sidewalk. Is he cute? No, I don't mean for that purpose. (laughs) It's like, I know you were trying to, like, get the number of the hot girl in the tube dress, but how about me? I'm bald. I'm bald. Are you attracted to that? This is the meat of the podcast. Wait, have you ever have you ever caught your have you ever caught your profile reflection in the mirror? Yeah. 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 Shit feel like I won't ever make it home Traffic's backed up, I got to get off of this road You're listening to She's in Russia, I'm Smith and I live in Brooklyn And I'm Lily and I live in St. Petersburg, (laughs) Florida Alright, do you want an update on our our voicemail box? Oh my god, did somebody call? (laughs) No <laughs> I thought you were gonna update me. So Smith, what should people do if they if they have a burning, burning question about Russia that they can't answer that makes it from like it's like the a news? Real disease. <laughs> burning rash. <laughs> what do you do if you have gonorrhea? Don't call our burning, burning. If they have a question about Russia, they can call three four seven two nine two seven one two six. So I pass my like cleaning section and like. I just remember like, oh, my bathtub really needs scrubbing. And so I'm like, I'm going to get like a scrubby sponge for that. So I, I look and the, the only two sponges that like suit me are this like, nor, this like scrubby looking, like sort of metallic looking sponge that's like says it's for Teflon. And then this like these, this two pack of like these like, it's just an all white wedge kind of. And it says like magic clean sponge, <laughs> all surface magic. And I'm like... And it's like seven times, no, like three times as expensive as the other one. I look at it for a little while and I'm like, yeah, probably I need the magic one, even though it's a little more expensive, but I just like, whatever. Get to the cashier. The cashier's like, he's like beeping all my things, beep, beep, beep. He gets to the sponge and he's like, oh, he's like, he's like, this is an expensive sponge. He goes, this is 400 rubles. This is an expensive sponge. Uh, That's like eight dollars. Yeah, good job. That is a really expensive sponge. It's two sponges, so that's $4 a sponge, okay? It's a double bag, god damn it. And I did stand there for like 30 seconds when I was choosing, and I thought about it, and I read the really poorly written marketing 
ad language and I thought, yes, I need this magic sponge. So I had already made a decision, but this guy suddenly, like, suddenly my whole like world turns upside down. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like embarrassed. There's an old lady sitting behind me buying like, you know, like 20 ruble potatoes. Because like potatoes and onions and stuff, like I don't know what those are. Like certain produce are so cheap here. It's like they're exponentially cheap. <laughs> You're like daddy Warbucks over here with your double <laughs> Yeah. She's like buying her like her stuff and I suddenly feel like this decadent like horrible <laughs> capitalist <laughs> and I, I like I like look at the guy at first because I'm just like why is he telling I'm like yes he's like it's 400 rubles and I'm like uh-huh and he's like it's an expensive sponge I was like oh and suddenly I'm like embarrassed so I like sort of pretend that I didn't know that and he's like, <laughs> and he's like yeah it really it's the really expensive one i don't know why and then he's like well if you want like this is all in like five seconds by the way and he's like if you want like you sh- you should probably go get the other one there's a cheaper one and I'm like, no you didn't i did <laughs> i was so i got really flustered I, well not actually i didn't look flustered but inside i had like inner turmoil and i was just like yeah okay and i left I just leave the cashier. I go and get the scrubby like Teflon sponge. <laughs> it's three times as cheap, uh, three times cheaper. And I come back and they have that look on my face like I'm all like, like sort of relieved and grateful. Like, oh, thank you for warning me about the price, <laughs> Mr. Cashier. And I'm like, yeah, I got it. Great. And he's like, yeah, yeah, this is the one. <laughs> and like sends me on my way. So sometimes we get requests from people um, because we usually have these really like well thought out topics for our podcast. And then sometimes, you know, we do those special requests and there's some little body who's been wanting to hear about a certain, a certain psychopath, psychopath, Russian healer. So today we're going to talk about Rasputin. Rasputin. <laughs> God forsaken reason, mostly because... Every time we decide on a topic every week, you're like, hint, hint, we should talk about Rasputin. (laughs) For anyone who doesn't know who Gregory Rasputin is, was, he's dead. I hope he's dead, actually. It's unclear. He, so the last czars of Russia, Nicholas II and Alexandra, he was their guide, prophet, wisdom giver figure. What is that called? And also the healer of their son who had hemophilia and who was the heir to the throne before the Russian Revolution ruined all those plans. The big picture is that throughout like many, many years, a thousand-ish years of Russian history, there have always been these like figures, these holy prophet, they're called like holy fools, who like claim to be mystical healers, who have magical powers, who have mysterious whatever, like God-bestowed supernatural powers these men tend to crop up at like periods of instability special instability and disruption and chaos Um, and they sort of like uh, you know offer some kind of like remedy to that so okay Rasputin appears in the lives of the last czars of Russia in the very early 20th century in, in 1903, he first comes to St. Petersburg, and then he meets him for the first time in 1905. Where is he from? Do you know? Yes. 
So, Rasputin was born in 1872 in a small village in Siberia called Paskrovskaya. Also, from a young age, he was very promiscuous. And, like, whenever I... So, I read a a lot of things about him, not just Nicholas and Alexandra, which is the biography of The Last Tsars, written by Robert Massey. It's an excellent book. I mean, yeah, I read a lot of sources. And one thing I just noticed generally when people talk about Rasputin... Generally, men are writing about him. It's just like they talk about his promiscuity in that like uh, sort of horrible sexist apologizing way often. Like he was definitely assaulting people, raping people at some point in his life. Girls, women, mostly. But like a lot of the language around that is really soft. And I'll get to specific examples of like what what exactly he did. But like, for example, growing up in this village in Siberia reports like he would go up to the peasant girls and just start uh, he was very forward gentleman and he would start unbuttoning their dresses and it's like okay like he was just taking their clothes off in without like that's just yeah you know what i mean so um any case he gets married he has like kids and everything in this village but he ends up going on these like wandering pilgrimages at some point so he has this sort of shift and he walks like he walks all the way to Greece. He just like walks all around Russia. Oh my god! Wait, what the fuck? Oh, okay, shit. So, but and then he he stays in like a tent, or people host him. He who knows? He probably like he takes on this figure that like other holy wandering roaming prophet figures have taken on, which is just like partly begging or mostly begging. Like you go from place to place, you take food if you can. Maybe you go like he stayed in a monastery for a while. After his couple of really intense pilgrimages where he's wandering around for a long time, he comes back. He's been, like, at some point, you know, starving. Like, he looks, he definitely, like, looks physically worn. And so, and everyone sort of says in the village, like, something changed about him. And he was, like, more holy, blah, blah, blah. In any case, he goes through some kind of transformation. And he goes to St. Petersburg. Throughout all of his roaming and his going to St. Petersburg and living with, and, and being really close, getting really close with the royal family, his wife and kids always stay in that village. And his wife purportedly was like, knew about his, he was continued to be very, to like be aggressively promiscuous for his entire life. Like marriage didn't mean anything in that case or didn't stop him from doing that. And apparently his wife like was fine with that or was just like, I don't know. I think she probably subscribed to his position on it. And his position on it was explicitly like it was this like belief that like in order to be holy, you need to sin first. And like, I'm going to sin with you and then save you. And it was like some some weird like savior thing. Yeah. Like the reason the excuse, like the motivation is just like the very opposite of what he's doing. The thing that people always say about him is that he had, first of all, he looked like a very sort of like typical rough Russian peasant. He had like a scraggly beard. He was often un, like smelled bad, like wasn't washed. I'm not saying all peasants didn't bathe, but that's... <laughs> <laughs> you, don't want, you don't want us to come across as anti-peasant. I don't want to, I don't want to offend any peasants listening. <laughs> The thing that people always report about him is that he had these really intense eyes. Like if you meet him and and look, he he would look at you and stare at you with these like deep blue eyes and it would would be hypnotic in, in some way. He did practice hypnosis. It wasn't like the only thing he practiced though. He also had a 
really confident and calming voice and that actually becomes really important um in terms of why he what what he did with the royal family so like oh so much drama so he comes he comes to st petersburg and in 1905 he gets formally introduced to the royal family and the reason he gets called there basically is because the royal family nicholas and alexandra they have five kids they have four daughters their fifth child is alexei this this little boy okay so Rasputin comes to them specifically to help the family, to help Alexandra, the mother and empress of Russia, with this little boy because he has hemophilia. Why? Why is Res- why? Wait, that doesn't. Why is Rasputin called though? Okay, because hemophilia is incurable, and none of the doctors can do anything about it. What will happen is every so often, like what happens is like if you. If you accidentally get some kind of wound, like you get a bump or a bruise or anything, like you can have, um, if you have hemophilia, you can just get these like like hemorrhaging and uncontrollable bleeding right, and be in these horrible, yeah, this horrible pain, state of pain, and not, no one could do anything. The person who would who would be able to heal this boy, the reason that's so important is not only because like okay, obviously they don't want their son to die, he's like the heir, the only heir to the Russian throne because the rest are girls. The rest are girls, and she spent the first 10 years of her marriage, 10 years giving birth to four girls. Oh, what a waste of time. <laughs> Total shit. Total no, but shit. like, it's a really long time, and every time she was like, I really need to produce a male heir, and it wasn't happening. And she even hired some other like French mystical guy at some point to help her like have a boy, but he failed. <laughs> they sent him away. So, in any case, like, just like hemophilia pops up all around and it's this sort of like mystical also has like a mystical element to it because like no one can cure it da, da, da. and Rasputin enters the scene he sees the boy when he's like in the midst of one of his um incidents or whatever little prince and he just like it's unclear like how he cures him scientifically i don't know how this happens but basically like the way the biographer robert massey explained it was that like there's still not a consensus on like what is going on like some people say like he hypnotized him and somehow that like affected the his like blood vessel constriction but that's like not the strongest argument and the sort of the more strong argument is that like rasputin was able to so effectively change Alexei Alexei's emotional state that he became calm and when you become like I don't know somehow the your emotional state is well not somehow that makes sense is very much connected to like what your art what your I don't know how to say this you know when you get really emotional and like blood rushes to different places (laughs) yeah like somehow okay being calm is extremely important and when you're in severe pain obviously it's hard to be calm the little boy being in severe pain also very anxious and his mom was also really worried and anxious and everyone around him and like Rasputin was the only one who would come with his like intensely like confident deep voice and just be like he literally would just be like he will be okay like you will be fine the the boy continued to live while Rasputin was treating him and to be appear like to appear to be physically relieved okay okay all the doctors don't like Rasputin. They, like, really resent him. Like, who the fuck is this guy? But at the same time, they're like, but, god damn it, it works. 
that's sort of like the root of like Rasputin's role in 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 this family and in Russian history is that like he really did help them with their son's hemophilia and because of that he was basically given like a lot more power than he needed to have like if he said that if he would he would give advice etc to Alexandra and she would give it to she would transmit it over to Nicholas or like he might I don't know directly advise Nicholas and like he just had way more sway than it makes sense at all specifically because of his effect on their son and and that's what like the biographer thinks is like they were just so grateful that he was helping their son that they let him into other parts of their lives or are there like conspiracy theories right people think that they were hypnotized I don't think anyone thinks they're hypnotized. There are lots of conspiracy theories around him. That's the thing. The biographer, he makes a direct link between like, if, okay, if hemophilia didn't exist, if they, if Alexei didn't have hemophilia, there would be no Rasputin in, in the royal family, right? And if Rasputin hadn't been there, there would be no Lenin. Oh my God, wait, why? <laughs> the overall situation is that the royal family, like the five kids and, and Nicholas and Alexandra, they're super close. And a lot of times, like, they just, like, want to be a private family and they're just sort of oblivious to, like, what's happening in the country. They, like, in their diaries and their letters to each other, Nicholas is always, like, happiest when he's off secluded in... They have a palace outside the city. Um you know, like secluded just alone with the family away from all the ministers and all the like fanfare and all the balls and everything. Right. Like what he's saying basically is like if they had paid, if that family, specifically Nicholas, the czar, Nikolai, had paid more attention to what people were actually saying in the government, people on the street were protesting, rioting, people in the government were saying we need to reform. During this, in 1905, the Duma was formed, the parliament shit was changing and, and, and everyone in the country on all sides was like, things need to change. Like, we can't have this, like, autocratic government anymore. Like, right. just the times are changing here. And, yeah, and they didn't, they just didn't listen. Wait, but what does that um, have to do with Rasputin being there? Well, okay, sorry, I'm <laughs> missing link. It has to do, <laughs> Rasputin, Rasputin, Rasputin was the one who encouraged all of their, like, isolation he encouraged isolation but he encouraged their the idea that like the russian people needed just a single czar like there was no room for compromise like he was very much in a traditional sort of he believed in the traditional formation of like there's the, the czar there's all the other people and there's like the church basically that got out where Alexandra writes to him to Rasputin being like he's away and she's like oh I miss you so much my beloved one like I wish I could lean on your shoulder da, da, da. but like what the biographer says is he just read and quotes a lot of letters between all the members of this family and like society and he's like this is her that's her style like she writes really in really flowery affectionate language to like all of her close people okay so that's not proof that there was like a romantic relationship between them and he believes in her sort of like maybe self-described like Victorian values kind of. I mean, she was raised by a lot by her grandma, Queen Victoria. 
pretty conservative in that sense. But not so conservative that you don't invite a, like, mystic shaman into your home. So in the early 20th century, people were, like, in St. Petersburg for sure, were getting really into supernatural kind of, like, experimental occult things. I'm not talking about everyday people. I'm talking about, like, high society. You know, like, doing, like, Ouija boards and having salons and, like, seances and... Okay. You know what I mean? And there were, like, there were, like... There were lots of like mystics and seers, et cetera, in the city, kind of like mingling um, <laughs> with high society. So like Rasputin, he he was like part of a that larger context kind of, and like yeah, like part of the reason he was brought to the royal family was because like two of I think it's Nicholas's cousins doesn't matter like these two very high up ladies, you know, had like met him in one of those settings and and really liked him. I mean, he had their backing in the beginning, but eventually, like, later on, they denounced him. But he also, interestingly, when he came to St. Petersburg for the first time, he also, this is important, had the backing of two very high-up religious figures, two, like, a bishop and, and like, the inspector of the theological academy or something. Okay. Um... So he like they had met him and they were like, yes, he's very holy. Like we accept that he's holy and we recommend him. But then like as the years go on, basically between like 1905 or 1903, he first comes 1905, he comes back and 1911. Okay. People say later that it, it was just like he had two faces. Like he was a he had a totally different way of being around the royal family. And then once when he was in the city, he would have these meetings or gatherings or whatever. He would also just have women, mostly women, like he would have like office hours kind of like during the day. People could come and like have tea with him in groups and talk to him, ask him for advice. So it's like people are coming to him. And then there's this like there's always this like sexual aspect is always present. And like sometimes it's present in a really violent way. Sometimes it's present in a more like like there are reports of women like coming to him and and like offering themselves to him okay but there's also these like weird stories where he's like he'll be at one of these like salon things sitting around with everyone that everyone's eating and drinking tea or whatever and then he'll he'll be like telling some story from the village so he also that's important he also would like he didn't hide his like peasantness ever in fact he like played it up a lot he would use like rude language of vulgar peasant language he used his vulgar peasant words he also okay he also like ate only with his hands Uh, his peasant persona was important to him i'm just i'm just a simple peasant man so yeah he would be like sitting around and then at some point during the like dinner tea session or whatever he would just like take one of the women there and like lead them away and it was just like this like weird ritual that like no one said anything. I'm looking at pictures of him. He is so like foul. Yeah. Well, just like scary. Like I would not want to be led anywhere by that person. I know. And like this is the part this is the part where like there are accounts of women going to him and like wanting to sleep with him and finding his the intensity of his like or his vibe very sexual yeah i mean that doesn't surprise me that yeah. like he people would be that way with somebody who has power but even still it's well it's this partic- particular type of power it's not just like oh you're like rich and powerful it's like people would feel enraptured by him and then also it was like he gave them this sort of easy excuse by being like it's okay to sleep with me because it's not a sin 
Right. I just imagine no one talks about the venereal disease that was obviously uh, rampant. rampant. I mean, think about it. He slept with so many women, and there's just no way they were using any form of protection. Yeah. What the protection against venereal disease was. They also, like, probably didn't know exactly how it was transmitted. I mean, but it's kind of obvious. Like, you sleep with Rasputin, and now you have, like, herpes. The main, the texts that I read about him don't talk about that, which I was fine. Like, it's just... Don't talk about the venereal disease? Yeah, it's just... It's like how they don't really talk about the rape. Like, they're like... Yeah. He would just have his way with the girls. It's like... Oh, God, it's so gross. Yeah. Yeah, it's so horrible. He's not ascetic. Like, he has this, like, vibe of an ascetic monk and everything. Like, that's his, like, persona. But he, like, drinks and eats and fucks and... Yeah. So why, not, why I said 1911 was because by 1911, like, the city has stopped being charmed by him. Like, the upper echelons who were, like, thought he was, like, this, you know, mystical, interesting, exotic Siberian peasant are just like, no, you need to stop and, like, we don't like you anymore. Why was there that current in favor? Well... A couple of things. It just it's just sort of a buildup of time. I think more and more women who were assaulted just over that time, right? Um, more and more women come out and complain of of that, like come out as his victims. In fact, at some point, like a group of women forms, a, a group of his vi- of his victims form all women whose sole goal is to castrate him. Oh my god, and are unsuccessful, right? Yeah, they're unsuccessful, but like they even get like the blessing of this other super fanatical orthodox monk figure who's younger than Rasun, who also shows up a little like a few no around that time. Um, he shows up, but this guy is like, according to the according to what I read, is like actually a monk. Like he's actually an ascetic. But anyway, he like gives his blessing to the, this group of women and like supports him and is like you can do that and even like i don't know like ceremoniously like puts a knife around one of their necks and oh it's my like God. yeah and then in 1911 the church also finally uh does a formal investigation of him because he rapes a nun oh and that's for real like that i mean not that the other things weren't real but like he confesses to that to members of the church and they do a formal investigation Absolutely. So, so like when somehow he he's like maintaining this like life he has in is it in St. Petersburg? Yeah. And then combined with like but he's still like very much a part of the royal family. Yeah, and that's what I mean. Like the two faced thing can't you can't really like explain uh, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but it was so so intense, like because what would happen is it was like that that horrible frustrating thing just of like everything was in place somehow for Alexandra, or at least she had made up all of the answers to possible accusations against him. So there just was no way to convince her. There was just no way to convince her that that like he was not who he said he was and that he had this other side. Right. Every time people would try, and this is the really scary part, they would get demoted. They would get the two higher up religious figures who ended up investigating him and like after the nun rape they were basically like banished to various parts but one of them was the one of them was the same inspector of the theological academy um he's the he's the guy who in the beginning had been like he's really holy like he's great oh my god then he he turned he realizes i don't know after a few years like he sees what's going on he's one of the ones who puts rasputin through this kind of like it's like this intense sort of like repentance ritual after he rapes the nun they kind of like beat him up and are like 
look what you're doing, like, come to your senses, kind of, and he does, apparently. Like, he's like, I'm sorry, yeah, that was really bad. That seems fake, though. Well, who knows, like, but in any case, then he, in a couple days, he, like, is like, wait, fuck those guys, and he goes back to the royal family, and he tells them his version of how that happened, and of course, they believe only him, and this guy is sent, I think he's sent to Crimea, which is, like, a punishment. Wait, but then and then what happened after the revolution to to Rasputin? Well, Rasputin was murdered. Oh. Dun dun dun. <laughs> that was a shocker. <laughs> really? Okay, I'm glad you didn't know that because this is like this is really intense. Okay, so Rasputin's death. Finally, people are like specifically a couple of people people who are related to to nicholas's family one of the princes yusupov and one of the members of the parliament the duma so the way yusupov the prince who who was one of the conspirators to his murder the way he's related to nicholas is that he's married to his to nicholas's only niece okay and there were other like nicholas's cousin grand duke dmitry pavlovich was also involved so it was very much a family affair family murder people were just like we've had enough of this asshole so when they when when the family members of the family decide to kill rasputin their bigger goal is to get alexandra out of power and basically like restore they think she's like ruining the romanov family okay they're like we're gonna like get the family back and we're gonna get the monarchy back and everything's gonna be okay and nothing bad is gonna happen in december um rasputin apparently starts to like he he he's murdered on december 31st 1916 and in december 1916 apparently he starts to like he starts to feel feel sort of paranoid like he feels like he senses that he's gonna be killed soon how do they know this he has like a journal or something well just his behavior he's he doesn't go out during the day he was, gets all like hedgy what's the word cagey cagey searching all cagey but he doesn't go out to any of the like social uh things he used to go to but probably also because i don't want him there (laughs) during this time during this month in december 1916 he sends a letter to nikolai and this is what it says and it's a really famous letter because it's extremely prophetic as you'll see i feel that i shall leave life before january 1st i wish to make known to the russian people to papa to the russian mother and to the children that they must understand. If I am killed by common assassins, and especially by my brothers, the Russian peasants, then you, the Tsar of Russia, will have nothing to fear for your children. They will reign for hundreds of years. But if I am murdered by Bayar's nobles, and if they shed my blood, their hands will remain soiled with my blood for 25 years, and they, they will leave Russia. Brothers will kill brothers, and they will kill each other and hate each other, and for 25 years there will be no peace in the country. The Tsar of the land of Russia, if you hear the sound of the bell which will tell you that Grigory has been killed, Rasputin, you must know this. If it was your relations who have wrought my death, then none of your children will remain alive for more than two years. And if they do, they will beg for death as they will see the defeat of Russia see the Antichrist coming, plague, poverty, destroyed churches, and desecrated sanctuaries where everyone is dead. The Russian Tsar, you will be killed by the Russian people, and the people will be cursed and will serve as the devil's weapon, killing each other everywhere. 
three times for 25 years, they will destroy the Russian people and the Orthodox faith, and the Russian land will die. I shall be killed. I am no longer among the living. Pray. Pray, be strong, and think of your blessed family. Dun, dun, dun. But, I mean, that was close enough. Yeah, but that was close enough to the revolution, right? That, like, those thoughts were probably already boiling under the surface. Like, he's not just drawing that stuff out of thin air, right? He's not drawing it out of thin air, but specifically, like, I will die before January 1st, and he dies on the 31st. Okay, yeah. Uh, That's crazy. (laughs) Then also, like, saying, like, making distinction, like, I'm going to be killed, and if I'm killed by nobles, I mean, by peasants, it's okay. Like, the people rise. But if I'm killed by your family, then your family will die at the hands of Russia. And that's exactly what happens in exactly the time that he gives. How they kill him, though, it's I don't, It's such a, like, saga. It kind of, like, befits his, like, crazy persona. Yusupov is, like extremely wealthy like from his family at that point or he's like the maybe one of the wealthiest people in russia and he has many palaces and he's like okay in one of my palaces where he lives in st petersburg they're going to invite rasputin to like sort of a private party in in the cellar and that's where they're going to kill him and they plan to kill him by poison with cyanide the way they lure him there because he's being all cagey and yusupov starts like kind of like buttering him up a little bit earlier on like i don't know maybe the weeks months before he starts to like see him more and just like hang out with him more hang out (laughs) we're just chilling we're just chilling i'm just confessing my sins he's touching (laughs) me weirdly uh he says this character is also such a character this this guy he's like in any case he's very beautiful and his wife is very beautiful, um, Nikolai's niece. And he, he tells Rasputin when he invites him to this party that his, his wife will be there, but she's actually in Crimea on vacation. I, no, she's in Crimea for her health. Yeah, so like he's like kind of seducing Rasputin with her as the bait, but he's also kind of the bait. And he's like, yeah, we're just going to hang. Like, Rasputin probably thinks they're going to like drink and whatever, get fucked up. A little hand job, maybe. They... <laughs> under the table they like apparently like he has a huge sweet tooth so basically you and Rasputin are the same (laughs) as you suspected in the end you are Rasputin (laughs) um so they like make all these like sweets and pastries and like pile them up in the in the cellar of the palace or basement cellar um they they, like make like a huge decadent like that sounds great but everything has cyanide in it so it's not great they put enough poison they crush it up and put it in all of the pastries and in the wine, in, like, Madeira. They put enough, apparently, to, like, kill three people. Like, a lot. Like, overdose. That just seems like a trap. Like, a giant pile of sweets. <laughs> okay, maybe I'm just... It didn't look, like, unusual, I think, in the, the context of this, like, of these people's lifestyles. Like, wade through the sweets. I actually think I made that up. I mean, I know, I know there were sweets, but I think I just like imagining them like piled, like decked out. Um, this is also a weird surreal tidbit: is that like they get there and Yusupov is like the one who's like quote unquote close with him. He's like, let's go downstairs and like hang out because right now my wife is like upstairs at a party and she'll come down soon. This is in the basement, whatever the like lower area of their palace. <laughs> that also seems wrong. It's like a dungeon basement. Here is your suite. It's, 
It's like a massive palace. You can like, take no your way. time. <laughs> You're sweet. I think they decided to use that because, I don't know, maybe they just like felt that it would be like more secluded or I don't know why they decided to do that. But it's not an unfurnished basement, sir. I'm sure it's furnished. They're like the wealthiest people in Russia. They're radiators down there checking along. <laughs> Wait, but this is, this is such a good juicy detail is that the other conspirators of the murder, they're upstairs like simulating this party that is supposed to be happening where the wife is. And yeah. they're just playing Yankee Doodle. <laughs> oh my god. Like a gramophone. Yeah, a gramophone with Yankee Doodle on it. So Rasputin sits down. At first he's like, no, I don't want any sweets. And like Yusuf was like, oh shit. And then and then he's like, oh, never mind. He like scarfs <laughs> down two, two of the sweets. And then he's like, can I have some wine? And like in his like whatever gruff way. And he like slurps a bunch of Madeira wine. And, you know, he likes, like, yeah, it's like slurping and eating and, like, everything's poison. So Yusuf was like, phew, he's going to die soon. Like, he's a huge, too. He's, like, really tall, like, big guy. And I don't know. That's just also kind of, like, formidable. So they're just sitting there, the two of them. He's waiting for him to die. And he doesn't die. It's just nothing happens. He's like, anyway. And he, like, kind of sits back or whatever. And then, like, he's like, why don't you play me some songs on your guitar? And Yusuf was like, okay. And he like gets his guitar and starts like singing and playing songs for Rasputin. And Rasputin is supposed to be dead. And two hours go by and he's not dead. And apparently they're like, supposedly they're like waiting for the wife to come down, right? But the wife is not coming down because right. she's in Crimea. So at some point, um, Yusuf was like, I'll be back in a sec. And he like leaves Rasputin and he goes up to the other conspirators and he's like, oh my God, he's not dying. He's eaten a lot of the poison. I don't know what's going on. What the fuck are we supposed to do? And everyone's like, oh my God, let's just forget about this. And they're like, no, like we decided to kill him. He, he has poison in his body. Like he'll get sick and then we'll get blamed. Like shit is going to be bad. We need to do something. And then one of them's like, we need to shoot him. And Yusuf of the same guy is like, okay, I'm going to do it. And he like takes a gun and he goes back downstairs and apparently Rasputin's like like looking at like admiring one of like the crucifixes or something hanging on the wall okay. and Yusuf was like he's like yeah it talks about the crucifix and he's like and Rasputin is like like demands more wine and is starting to seem sort of woozy he's like getting a little bit okay. he could be drunk but it could also be the poison but he's still like very much standing and but he says something kind of like weirdly cynical about the cross about the crucifix and Yusuf was like you actually might want to look at that right now. And he like turns back to look at it. And when his back is towards Yusupov, he shoots Rasputin in the back. Okay. And he falls on his back and like, again, okay, now he seems to be dead. And one of the guys, they, the guys rush downstairs and one of them's a doctor and he checks his pulse and he's like, yeah, he's dead. Okay. He's dead. Phew. And then they're like, oh my God. Okay. We did it. And then, <laughs> Apparently, they go back upstairs and it's at, they come back down to check on him and he's crawled like he's alive. Oh, he's like crawling God, around. He like won't die. Yeah, he's oh. like a horrible zombie monk. And he's like foaming at the mouth at this point. You know, he's been shot. Um, and he like, yeah, I think like attacks, like he's grabbing at them or whatever. And he ends up getting outside oh somehow. Oh my God, what the fuck? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe because he's a big guy, I don't know how they couldn't like stop him. But <laughs> he's still, he's shot, right? So he's running across. It's a snowy December night. He's running across their yard to like the iron gate in the snow. And he's running, first of all. Also insane. Yeah. Um, And one a different guy now because Yusuf is like, 
when he goes up once he sees that he's alive he like loses his shit he like passes out he like he like is trying to talk to them apparently like they're like his eyes were like bulging out of his head he's like really really freaked out um understandably and so another guy is now running after Rasputin, another one of the conspirators with a gun, running after him in the snow and shoots at him again and shoots like multiple times and finally it hits him in the head and in the shoulder and like Rasputin falls and da da, da and now he's like bleeding in the snow and he's oh and God, like, what a botched assassination. Yeah, and they're like, okay, now he's fucking dead, right? And then Yusupov has like has like he apparently ran into his parents' like apartment of the palace and was like in the bathroom, like passed out, and then he wakes up and runs back out with like a plastic bludgeon and starts beating Rasputin because he's like, he ha I like, we need to make sure this fucker is dead there. So now he's shot multiple times, including in the head and shoulder. He's bludgeoned. They, they he has tie cyanide up his hand. in his system. He has so much cyanide, like way too much, like kill a horse. He's like, they wrap him up in the, like a curtain or something. And of course, like, I don't know, like, the gunshots are heard, but I don't know, I guess no one's out in the street, nobody sees them, like, take this wrapped up body to the Niva, to the river, and there's, like, a hole cut in the ice, and they drop him in, right? So, later, and then, then, then they, like, we're like, okay, we killed the fucker, we're done. Okay, so, apparently, like, they were just in a state of, like, shock and adrenaline and they're drunk and they're like a lot of shit has happened and they just murdered someone and apparently like a police officer came to the palace because there was a shot heard in the courtyard he heard a gunshot and apparently one of them just like threw his arm around the shoulder of the officer and was like we killed him <laughs> <laughs> just like immediately confessed like with no like anything yeah okay this is the fucking craziest part a few days later his body is finally found it's, it's actually found because they're idiots and, like, apparently his shoe was, like, left on the ice or something. They, okay. They investigate that area of the ice. They find his body in frozen water. A couple of things happened. The most important thing is that Rasputin died of drowning. Oh, my God. He didn't die God. from all of that. <laughs> what? No. How do they know that, though? They know that because his arms have been tied up. Okay. And he was able... This is the other detail... When he was underwater, he was able to wrench one of his arms free with his superhuman Siberian monk strength oh and raise what it above his fuck? head in the sign in the sign of the cross. If you Google a picture of him, you'll see his arm raised over his head. Like that's just his that's how he's like blessing people, whatever. That's what his hand looked like frozen under the water. Oh my god. And his like lungs were filled with water, like he had drowned. Isn't that fucking insane? Bludgeon shot. Like <laughs> uh. Okay, so one thing that came up when I, I wanted to look at what his body looked like coming out of the water, okay? And I'm looking at it, and... Let me actually read the page. The Russian Museum of Rodica, newly opened in St. Petersburg, has been crowing its, about its acquisition of the penis of Rasputin. It definitely looks like a penis, but is it Rasputin's penis? Which, according to legends, was 13 inches long. <laughs> Oh, no it, wonder all the ladies loved him. <laughs> As it turns out, Rasputin's penis has had a rather colorful history since its separation from his body. 
Here are some of the highlights. In 1916, Rasputin and his penis parted ways due to the machination, machinations of murdering gang of angry nobles. But according to rumor, a maid found the bodiless member at the crime scene and saved it. During the 1920s, a group of Russian women living in Paris acquired it and worshipped it as a kind of holy relic while keeping it inside a wooden casket. Rasputin's daughter Marie didn't like the idea of her dad's penis hanging out with these women. So she demanded the thing back, and it presumably stayed with her until she died in California in 1977. It then disappeared for a while until it came into the possession of Michael Augustine, who found it tucked away in a velvet pouch along with some of Marie Rasputin's manuscripts that he bought at a lot sale. Augustine sold the well-traveled penis to Bonham's auction house, who then discovered, surprise, surprise, that what they thought what they had bought was not a penis, but instead a sea cucumber. That's where the events stood in 1994. Now, 10 years later, the Russian Museum of Erotica is claiming they have that they have Rasputin's penis. Igor Kinyaskin, the director of the museum, claims that he bought it from a French antiquarian for $18,000, which just begs the questions, where did the French antiquarian get the penis from? One might also wonder why the museum's penis is preserved in fluid, whereas all early accounts of Rasputin's penis described it as dried out. Ew, ew, ew. Yeah. I really do not recommend Googling it, but it's not that bad. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's it's pretty, like, off-putting. It looks, like, really, like, elephant-like, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it gets so wide at the base. I really hate how there's hair on it. <laughs> oh, my God. This is really horrible. I'm glad you Googled this. Just decided to spice up your story with a dismembered penis. So, in the end, he was castrated. Yeah, I got paid today. Gas up in my tank. Trust me when I say nothing's in my way. That's the last beat. Thanks for listening. Make sure, <laughs> make sure to follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram at She's in Russia. Call us and leave us a message because I really don't want to have to say every week that nobody called in. And the number on that is. 347-292-7126. And also sign up for our newsletter and be sure to subscribe and download and rate us on iTunes.